there's a serious Mark's package joke in there, but I'm going to leave it. Yeah, no good. No good. Welcome back to the Toronto Beer Podcast. In this, what I'm calling season two, I'm Chris Schreier, and this is my wonderful co-host, Mrs. Mandy Murphy. How you doing, Mandy? I'm great, Chris. How are you doing? Well, I mean, for the listeners at home, you will understand if you know that we're recording this Wednesday night at 9.58 p.m. I'm feeling pretty darn good right now. That was a heck of a baseball game. I don't know if you could hear it in my voice, but I can't stop smiling. <laughs> I was so nervous today. I shouldn't have been. I should have had faith, but I was nervous. Nerves are natural when you're uh, entering this section of the postseason. It's not something we're used to dealing with here in Toronto. Um, there, were, there were many tears this evening, happy ones. I cannot tell you how good I felt when they threw uh, Osuna in in the eighth, two outs to go still, and he just did exactly what he does. It's like the way you feel when a Porsche rips by you on the highway, and you don't even mind, because you're just like, that's just what that thing does. That is not, not the analogy I would use whatsoever. When a Porsche rips by me on the highway, I usually feel all sorts of angry and that is not how I felt when I watched Osuna strike out four out of five batters that he faced this evening. Well, that's fair. Uh, I personally give way to the Porsche. Anybody else? I'm with you. Idiot. Don't, don't overcompensate, but Porsches are special. Anyway, so is Osuna. That was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baseball. Let's, let's do this. Let's talk a little baseball. Can this okay. just be a baseball podcast tonight? It, no, because there's a really important oh. thing we really need to rip apart. But I want to do the baseball because, you know, we're riding a real high right now, you know, real high. Um, what about the the seventh inning play, the the live ball? You are a, a, a baseball geek. What was your opinion there? It's something I'm not familiar with. It's unusual to me because the ump called the uh, basically what happened is when uh, Russell Martin tried to throw the ball back to the pitcher. Um, the ball, I guess, on his release hit the batter's bat. Um, he was just standing in like the, the not end of the box, box. but he he was in the box, but he, he, he's not required to step out. Um, and his bat was just in like a neutral position and the ball hit the bat and was sort of deflected out between the pitcher and third baseman. Uh, and it was really unusual because, uh, as the runner at third started to run home, um, the ump started calling it off like, no, 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 no. Uh, and so that is why I think fans are like so up in arms because that was sort of reversed and the run was allowed, um, even though it seemed like it should have been a dead ball, which is what the ump was calling for. Um, so I don't know the actual ruling on that. It's not something I'm familiar with, even though I do score the game myself. And I typically score the game, uh, not with my own rules, but with my own judgment, because the scorekeeper does have discretion. So I usually score with my own discretion and sort of assign my scored version of the game uh, based on my feelings. And I'm not really sure about that. I've, I've never seen something like that happen before. I think most baseball fans can would probably say the same thing. It's really unusual circumstance. Um, so that they, the Jays played the rest of the game under protest. And so we'll see what happens. So it's interesting. I mean, the playing under protest is kind of moot at this point because they won. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I don't know what what comes out of that. Uh, you know, it's interesting because the the home plate umpire, as you say, waved it off. Um, it was only on conferring with the what do they call them, the crew leader or the crew chief or whatever, and the other umpires that they then called it. And then upon Gibbons losing his mind, uh, called up whatever the office is in New York or whatever. And got sort of the, the the equivalent of you know going upstairs, uh, as we would say in hockey, and going to New York in the case of baseball. Is that what they say? They go, we're, we're going no, go to New York. No, they don't say that, but it's not upstairs; it's in New York. Yeah, exactly. It's an office in New York. Here, it's an office in Toronto for hockey. But anyway, I digress. 
I, because you had to come home from the brewery, because of course, when you work at a brewery called Left Field, you show the game and then you party hard um, when the, the good guys win. So I was waiting around a little bit and did a little reading. Um, and it's interesting. So if the catcher had been trying to throw out a runner, like stealing a base, or if he dropped the third strike, whatever, um, if he was trying to throw out the runner, it would have been immediately a dead ball and the batter would have been out, which is interesting. <laughs> he obviously wasn't trying to throw out a runner. He was just throwing the ball back to the pitcher, which is a live ball. Um, the other rule is that if the batter from within the box does something that the umpire feels is intentionally obstructing the catcher's throw, then it's also a dead ball and the batter is also out. But what they so so what's interesting is in the context of the game. I don't know if the umpire waved it off just as a reaction or if he honestly thought, hey, that dude stuck his bat out. If you watch the replay, uh, uh, who is it? Oh, what's his name? Um, uh, what is his last name? Sue or something like that for the, the, the Rangers. Anyway, that's Chu. Chu. Yeah, it's something Sue, like hyphenated first name and then Chu. Um, he doesn't step out of the batter's box. He, he, he doesn't even move. His feet are planted in his batting position, but he stands upright. And I think incidentally stretches his one arm out, holding the bat upright, which I guess, you know, he's stretching or whatever. But that action 100% put the bat into the line of Martin's throw, which he'd already started. Mm -hmm. He'd already like cocked his arm to make the throw when the guy's arm popped out. So, I mean, it wasn't malicious, you know, he wasn't trying to create some situation, but I mean, to suggest that he didn't intentionally stick out his arm is insane. Of course he did. <laughs> like it stuck out unless it was an involuntary muscle response that was intentional. He intentionally stuck his bat out and it did interfere with the ball. So I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. But as I said, it's a moot point because we won. Not only did we win, but we really beat the hell out of them. That was decisive. That bat throw from Jose Bautista is going to be like the stuff of legend in Toronto. I don't know. Mark and I just had a huge argument about this. You don't think so? About this. No, I do. I agree with you. But uh, oh, I'm not sure that I want to get into this on the podcast. I really I highly respect Jose Bautista for his leadership and his abilities and his skill and everything he has brought to Toronto. He He's he's amazing. He's awesome. Um, he's just not my favorite player in the Jays. I, I can't pinpoint why, but it has something to do with his attitude and I don't know. I love the swagger that the guys on the team have. And I just, I don't, I don't love it from Bautista. And I don't know why I can't pinpoint it. It's a personal thing. Hmm. I don't, I really don't like it. I I did not think that bat flip was, was, I don't know. I didn't think it had a place in today's game. I didn't like it. I thought it was over the top. <laughs> I just don't. I liked it because it was such a protest. Like I would have liked it better if he'd thrown the bat and then he turned and looked at the umpire and been like, what? And then started running the bases. That would have made my night. I don't know. I I really I didn't love it, but I I loved the outcome of the game and I loved how he performs. I loved everything else. I think it was tonight was magical. What did you think about Encarnacion's immediate home plate before running reaction to his home run? I don't mind it. See, I I can I can buy it from everybody else and I just don't love it from Bautista and I can't pinpoint why. It's a personal thing for me. I'm going to have to give that one to you. Yep. Going to have to give that one to you. <laughs> I just sort of love um, that, when these obscure things happen in baseball because it, it brings on further analysis and then it's something you've like seen before. So yeah, um, next the next time it happens or something similar happens, um, you'll understand where the call is coming from and you'll, you'll understand the rule. That's the thing about baseball is there are so many um, obscure or like sort of underutilized rules that you would never really know about unless something like that were to happen. So um, that's one of the things I love about the game. Yeah, it's, it is a complex rich game so uh it was fantastic though uh i would like to just plug right now um 
Monday, the 19th, is uh, opening opening game, right? I it saw is. This. Yes. It's also election day. Uh, I want to recommend to you, if you, unlike me, uh, did not vote in the uh, pre, uh, what do they call it? The advanced polls. You go ahead on Monday. This is the listener, Mandy, not you. Mm-hmm. I, I expect you to be at your brewery no matter what. But uh, dear listener, go on down to the polling station. Cast your ballot, please. Regardless of your political leaning, I want you to show up and vote. We need to get that voter turnout up. And then head on over to a little place called Leftfield Brewery and watch that first game. I saw some video of the celebration when the Jays won. That looked like a lot of fun. We always get such a good crowd for the games. It's a, it's a really fun bunch. People are really intensely into the game. Um, nobody's buying anything from the bar when the game's actually in action. Um, and then there's like lineups for the washrooms and people flood to the bar, just like you're at the stadium uh, <laughs> when uh, when there's a break in the play. Uh, it's a crowd that's really, really into the game and it's so much fun. It, it's really great to celebrate along with them. It is fantastic. So that's my my plug right there. Vote. Then head on over to left field and uh, have yourself a, a good old time. Thanks for the free pl- plug, Chris. I'm going to recommend uh, on top of that, that you, you, uh, you take advantage of your employer's require or your employer's requirements to allow you to vote during the workday so that you can get your vote in nice and early and you can get to the brewery nice and early as we've been filling up well ahead of game time uh, for the past few games. I want to, I want to <laughs> just be clear on something here. Cause I used to, work at Starbucks and every election, provincial or federal, somebody would bring this up and they would say, you have to give me time off, paid time off. They would always say to go vote. This is not true. There is, I can't remember the the proportion, but basically you can't be scheduled for a shift so long that you don't have like two continuous hours to vote. Correct. And unless you work at a sweatshop you 100% have enough time to vote outside of business hours. Now, there are some pretty cool businesses that say, you know what, kids, we're going to shut it down at noon on voting day. Y'all can grab your lunch, head in and vote and do whatever you want with the rest of the day. That's pretty cool. That's not required by law. So I'm just putting that out there. This bothers me because literally every single time I would have, they called them partners. My staff would be like, oh, you have to, you have to give me paid time off to go vote. I'd be like, dude, you're working a four hour shift today. <laughs> the polls are open for 14 hours or something. You got 10 whole hours to vote in. I am not paying you anything. Get off my lawn. 100%. Get out there and vote. Go to work extra early so you can get out of work early so you can go vote. Uh, then you can get to wherever it is that you're going to watch the game. Yes. Um, we've been, uh, we have a little uh, saying, we've been working all the sleeping hours so that we can baseball all the sleeping hours, all the all the working hours, sorry. Um, I like that. Yeah, so we've been working extra late and extra early just so that we can make sure that when it's game time, we are all sitting in front of a TV with a beer in hand. That's fantastic. But it means lots of late nights and lots of early mornings, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> uh, okay, some business arising from the last podcast. Dear listener, did you listen to the last podcast? What'd you think? Live on location. I, I was pretty fond of that. I had a Chris, lot of fun. Chris, I thought it was really loud. Well, it was, but I think it was audible. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. Really loud, though. Yes, it was very loud. We were both loud. screaming pretty obnoxiously. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I toasted my voice. It was pretty rough. Uh, My business arising at one point, I obviously misheard you and I'm also self-righteous, which is a bad combination. But you said something about having something good from the vendors. And I misheard you and thought you said that you'd had multiple things and had had one good thing. And I was like, no, no, no. And I made this big point. It was very pompous and unnecessary. So this is my public apology to Mandy Murphy. You didn't say what I accused you of saying, and thanks for just rolling with it. It occurs to me that you might not have actually heard what I was saying. So I didn't even pick up on that, but apology accepted. It's in there. So very embarrassing, but uh, that's that's life. We move on. Uh, we got some new stuff to talk about. Cranking right along. Let's do... <laughs> it's called... This is going to be called the ABI show, I think. Um, Because we actually have three Anheuser-Busch InBev pieces of news that I assume if you listen to this podcast, you probably already know them, but we'll cover them off for you as we introduce them. So first one I'm going to take, it's old news now, um, especially with the Jays and the other ABI news, but I think it's worth touching on. Mill Street, of course, uh, one of the sort of catalysts, I guess you could say, of the craft brewing renaissance. We had a bunch of craft brewers 
in Ontario, but Mill Street Steam Whistle really kind of, to me anyway, got that that snowball really cranking down the hill um, in in Toronto. And uh, Mill Street's been been bought by uh, Anheuser Busch InBev, specifically Labatt's. But of course, at least until the merger, Labatt's is owned. I think Labatt's is still going to be owned, isn't it? By by Anheuser Busch InBev, even if they merge, it's it's Molson that's going to get cut. But anyway, yes. yeah. I'm getting all my players all confused. This is like a game of risk where all the men are the same color, uh, but it, they've been bought and it was, I was, so my immediate reaction was surprise at how surprised everyone was and how much, how much reaction there was. My immediate reaction when I heard the news and I heard it in the car, these were my first two thoughts. I was driving it was on 680. Oh, Mill Street's been bought by Labatt's. And I went, huh. And then I was like, shit, this is really going to suck up a lot of time today. <laughs> time that I don't have. And it did. But my immediate reaction was like, okay, whatever. Like, it was such a non-issue. And then immediately what followed was... I mean, kind of the extremes from both sides, which is on the one hand, oh my God, I can't believe Mill Street would ever sell out. They were independent, blah, 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 blah. On the other side of it, uh, Mill Street sucks and the beer is just going to get worse and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, neither of those narratives really, A, are accurate and, and B, um, serve any purpose. There's something to be said about Mill Street. But what was your first reaction when you heard the news? What was that? Was that just... Was that honestly, honestly, yeah, it was just Monday. Yeah, honestly, my reaction was finally because that rumor, quite <laughs> honestly, has been circulating. Yeah, for so long, but it was more like, "Holy crap!" Finally, and everyone at the brewery sort of caught wind of the news at the same time, and it was hilarious because we all jumped up from wherever we were, whatever we were doing, and ran and sort of almost ran into each other in the hallways, and blurted it out to each other like. Holy shit, did you hear Mill Street just got bought by BMF? And it was pretty wild because we have a number of people or a couple of people on the team that were former Mill Street employees. So it's a it's a big deal for them. Like they they lived that world uh, and they, they have a lot of friends and um, colleagues that still work at Mill Street. So it's, it's, it's a big deal for them personally. Um, but quite honestly, that rumor had been circulating for such a long time. And the, the rumor was always, oh, AB and Bev is sniffing around at Mill Street and they may get bought or, or they're in the they're in the process of signing a deal. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like sort of the the rumor that would come back around every couple of months. Uh, and so when it finally happened, we were all kind of like, oh, yeah, finally. Yeah. We were expecting to happen it to happen someday. We didn't know it would be today, but we were expecting it to happen at some point. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a post obviously about it because it's one of the things I do. Um and uh <laughs> I mean, my, my thinking was good, good for, you know, uh, Steve and Joel and whoever else has shares in that company. They had a pretty happy Thanksgiving. Let me tell you. No, no, it was Friday because it was right before Thanksgiving weekend. It was the Friday before Thanksgiving weekend. Pretty sure. Uh, uh, but anyway. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because I remember thinking, man, going to be a big old turkey. Steve's house. But anyway, Steve, right? Yeah, Steve. Abrams. Abrams. Thank you. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but in the, my post, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, I don't need to fully rehash it here, but certainly one of the things that really struck me was, I mean, it makes a ton of sense for AB and Bev. It's the exact same as buying Goose Island. It's the exact same as, as Molson Coors buying Creamore. You're buying a, <clears throat> I mean, you're buying a successful operation, but most importantly, you're buying a huge chunk of market share. Um, I, I don't know what Mill Street's market share in Ontario is right now, but I'm willing to bet it's pretty damn big, at least for a craft brewer. And they've just backed up a dump truck of money and bought that market share. And there are going to be some people. In fact, I had a conversation when the news was breaking with a friend who uh, is not a big like, like, like this guy likes beer and, and he's interested, but he's not he's not a big you know geek. And he would still drink like a Mill Street tank house. Uh, pretty regularly and uh, really dug the cobblestone stout. And uh, he was like, well, that's it. No more Mill Street. Doesn't because he doesn't want to support a, a multinational. He wants to support a local company. And uh, 
Uh, I've completely lost my train of thought because my guitar capo just distracted me. Uh, yeah, uh, he has stopped drinking Mill Street. But I think you'll find that the vast majority of that huge chunk of market share, they're not going to care. Right. You know, the, the, the people drinking, you know, $5 organics at the noun in the Firkin are probably going to keep drinking uh, because now they're going to be $4 and you might get to win a pair of Leafs tickets for drinking it. So I, I think that most of the people drinking that beer are going to continue drinking it. And I think that Mill Street's business model was already so closely aligned with the practices of the big breweries that uh, at least in terms of sales and in terms of production they're they're they are an excellent brewery but their sales were, were notoriously cutthroat notoriously uh i don't want to say mean-spirited because that's maybe not quite the right word but the sales reps would do just about anything to try and knock off another craft brewer's tap and take it over and there's definitely competitive drive within the industry and certainly i mean you guys have sales reps sales rep couple one one, one. You'd expect to be picking up lines uh, from time to time. And sometimes that will mean replacing another brewer who maybe, you know, and respect. I don't think you would mandate that, you know, OK, this week you got to knock off four steam whistle lines or something like that, you know. And uh, that's really the, the spirit of a lot of the, the reps that I would deal with, at least at Castro's Lounge. And uh, and obviously, I know a lot of people in the industry and that's that's pretty well across the board. So. I don't think it's that big a, a deal. I don't think people are going to notice much of a change. You will notice, uh, you, you will see it even more places. And actually, I saw something really interesting. Um, ben Johnson had posted something and it got this whole comment explosion happening. But um, Gary McMullen commented that they are now going to have to package in industry standard bottles because... AB InBev is like one of the main players in like the agreement about industry standard bottles. And so everything they make has to be sold in industry standard bottles. So like those clear tank or those clear organic bottles and the sort of shapely tank house bottles and that sort of stuff, all with crown caps are apparently going to have to go, which is we'll interesting. See. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. You don't see uh Matilda being packaged in those like, but Matilda well, doesn't come in 330 mil bottles. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. They they bought Mail Street for the brand and um, to a degree, as with like purchases like the Cream or purchase, um, it seems, at least it seems on the surface, what they're doing is, is buying a brand to allow it to sort of do its thing with a, an influx of additional investment um, and access to more access to the market if it didn't if they didn't already have enough access to the market but more access to the market through their um monopolized beer sales channels especially in Ontario their most profitable market in the world um but i i don't know about the the bottle thing we'll see i don't know that much about it but uh if anything it, it would be good for the beer it's always better for beer to be packaged <laughs> in brown glass than it is in clear glass um for various although reasons. crowns are better than twisties and so the tank house would be in a slightly worse package i, I will just quickly point out and gary pointed this out uh creamore used to be available in 500 mil very nice sort of almost chianti-esque bottles and when they got bought they had to move and, and they are if you buy a bottle of creamore it's in an isb twist off isb so that, there's that and i will also confess that i hadn't Heard of that, hadn't considered it, had no idea until he brought it up, but I thought it was an interesting aside on the uh, Mill Street buyout. I will say this, because I've had some really pleasant conversations with uh, a bunch of the guys up at, at Mill Street, uh, notably uh, I've had uh, drinks and dinner at some events with Joel a couple of times. I wouldn't expect him to remember me, but I certainly remember him. And uh, I've, I've chatted uh, a couple of times with Steve and, and you know what, guys, good for you. Uh, there comes a time if you, you know, build something if the, the timing's right to pull the trigger and, and make that sale, uh, you earned it. And uh, people can say what they want, including me, about like sales reps practices and stuff like that and, and disenchantment there. But uh, in terms of building a very, very, very successful business and, uh, and, and reaping the rewards for it, that's exactly what they did. So well done, guys. You know, take, take a bow. I was going to say much earlier in your... Um slight ramble about Mill Street that I would thousand percent agree with what you're saying. Uh, and then you continued on and on. And there were certain things that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't necessarily want to get terribly political because I <laughs> am a stakeholder in a 
yeah. competitive business. Um, but I will say that I will continue as an owner of a craft brewery to work very hard to make sure that the consumer understands the difference between craft beer and non-craft beer, simply because businesses like mine are at a disadvantage um, versus quote-unquote craft breweries owned by AB InBev, which have uh, unfair access to the market um, that I am not privileged to have. I completely agree with you there. I think we would still be able to get into a good argument about defining craft beer, but uh, regardless, I think I would never at this point uh, call, say, Creamore or Mill Street uh, something that the government would define as craft beer. So I'm with you 100% of the way. And uh, I also commented, and I think it was in, might have been in a Facebook post or it might have been in my, my blog post, but that uh, even as I just did, I said, hey, good job, guys. Like, build a solid business, sell it for a boatload of money and, uh, you know, do whatever you want now. But uh, a lot of people's immediate reaction is like, oh, you know, you would do it too for the money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, actually, you know what? I don't think so. I think if in, I used Reinhardt as an example. I said, you know, if in like 10 years, Reinhardt was like one of the dominant breweries in Toronto, I don't see Jordan being like, yeah, sure. Throw a huge sum of money at me and take my brewery. I, there are, there are some people who don't do that. And I wouldn't be surprised I, if you and Mark were in the same boat. Yeah. I think that there are two ways you can look at it. Like at, on one sense, business is business. And uh, as Jordan St. John loves to say, beer is business and you can't pretend that it isn't. And I agree with him 100%. But I think people engage in businesses for and, and start businesses for very different reasons from one another. Yeah. And it's very clear if you look at Mill Street from the inside or the outside, um, that it was run in a very specific way and that they were building it to be the brewery it had become mm -hmm. um, for very specific and deliberate reasons. Um, so that's why this this purchase hasn't come as a surprise to anybody. And when you look at breweries like Reinhardt or breweries like our own, you I would hope that it's it's fairly evident that we're building it for different reasons and we're doing yeah. what we're doing for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're making choices that are, are fairly obvious and evident um, around every little thing that, that we do uh, for very specific reasons. And it's not necessarily to sell our someday gigantic brand to a big multinational corporation. Um, and I would hope that that's fairly evident. I would say it is. To At the end of the attention. day, you can't replace... You can't like fake or replace the fact that businesses are locally owned and that profit dollars from those businesses are being funneled back into investment within the province. And that that's always going to be the gap when AB and Beth buys at a craft brewery is that those those profits for those who are aware of what's going on in the, in the business of beer, those profits are not being reinvested in your communities. Yep. That's period. exactly it. That's yep. it. I would go on tears for ages and ages back in the day when the automotive industry hadn't completely tanked in Ontario because you would go to uh, the GM center in Oshawa and they'd be serving Anheuser-Busch MDAV products. And I'd be like, okay, I mean, I'm assuming probably a unionized shop, but with foreign ownership, the whole point of the GM center in Oshawa is we make these cars. This is, this is, we're doing this all ourselves here. I guess GM is an American company, but my point is that these are people who should be supporting local economy as much as possible. And yet they're swigging these beers that are, the money's going to Belgium and Brazil. Although back then it wasn't, it was somewhere else because they shift around a lot. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's infuriating. And the number of times that you tell somebody that, and I tell like every time I, I mention this in a crowd of more than one person, somebody is like, wait, what? What? Like Molson isn't owned by a Canadian company? No. How, how is it even possible that people don't know this? It's, it's well, good on them. They've, uh, they've built their brand in a very specific and deliberate way, right? I am Canadian. Yeah. Um, it's right there on the label. Yeah. Good for them. They, they pulled one over. Yeah. On all of you. Speaking of which, uh, I think we're going to do antitrust and then merger because that's the, the degrees, I think, of AB and Bev News. They bought Mill Street. They're involved in an antitrust case. We actually have um, an Wait article Wait a minute. Here. Are you telling me that AB and Bev is trying to control <laughs> the distribution of beer in a market? Can you believe it? They seem like such Back nice people. Back up for a minute, Chris. <laughs> Are there any markets in up. which they do have that advantage that that allows them to be extra profitable? Well, the funny thing is, if you heard just that little back and forth between Mandy and I, you might think, oh, 
sweet lord, the province of Ontario has woken up and realized that we are giving two-ish and sort of a third a giant advantage over everybody other brewer in the fucking world. No, we're actually talking about the United States, where they have this really fantastically outdated system of beer distribution that almost makes Ontario look normal. Not quite. We're still a little bit more Mm -mm. stupid. But uh, the U.S. has this system in most states called the three-tier system, which means a brewery can't sell their product to a bar or the retailer. They have to sell it to a wholesaler or distributor who then sells it to the uh, the final seller. <laughs> Such a weird... Let's just government mandate a middleman. Just just because. Well, just of course, cause. that will help prevent underage drinking. Oh, obviously. And drunk driving. Um, and uh, teen pregnancy, probably. So there's that. Anyway, AB and Bev has been going around buying up <laughs> distributors and wholesalers, which seems completely contrary to the very spirit of the law, which I will be the first to admit is horrendously out of date and antiquated. But if you've got the law, maybe you should probably obey it. Um, and they're not. They're buying up distributors. I think I got a great article from Salon. That's the one I'm going to include in the uh, the show notes because it actually deals with the merger and the uh, the antitrust. But I think they said they'd bought up like 17 of the 500 distributors that sells their products. So right there. OK, that's an alarm bell. Um, I don't understand how they're gaming the system and getting away with that. There's this whole thing that the wholesaler still has to operate independently. Which oh yeah of course yeah no I'm not going to well, do Chris, something the in the best interest of the independently yeah of course well, completely right? exactly exactly very similar it's insane so uh, they're letting them do this and then on top of that and and this is the one that really made me laugh because the way the article says it like presents this as like some sort of a surprise but it transpires that it might be that Anheuser Busch InBev salespeople are bullying their distributors that they don't own into not carrying the products of other craft breweries and the article, you know, notes in the way that you note when an oak tree falls on your leg that they've bought up some pretty big craft breweries to have on offer. Get rid of your stone and your dogfish head and take my Elysian and my Goose Island and now my Mill Street. So that's the antitrust uh, Mandy, I like this is something we talk about, and obviously you're doing a really good job tying it into Ontario as well. But but take it here. What, what do you make of all this? This this insanity is this like running scared or or like they're doubling down? I think it's pretty terrifying if you look at it from the craft brewers' perspective. Um, in the states where the distributor model or where they have the three tier system, the, that is the only way to get your product to market you have to sell through a distributor and i believe that applies to both retail sales and licensee sales yes so you're it does. completely at the mercy of these distributors if you don't have a good distributor partner you have nothing you don't have a brewery mm-hmm. like that's it basically um, if your distributor can't sell your product you don't have a brewery so to understand that the distributors are a being purchased and controlled by ab InBev, terrifying and for those that are not purchased and controlled by ab InBev, being bullied by them through their sales tactics in the market. That's something that really seriously needs to be investigated, and I'm glad to see that it is. Uh, It's unfortunate that smoke breweries may not have a great fighting chance at this. Um, It it seems like a bit of an uphill battle for them, Uh, but hopefully they'll they'll come out on top uh, with the investigation that's going on because it's pretty terrifying from that, that perspective to understand that a large multinational corporation can simply control access to the market and entirely shut down these small businesses by preventing them to have access to consumers. Yeah. It's, it's just so infuriating. And especially, I mean, the best, I say the best part because I'm a cynical jerk and I like being right. One of the best parts to me of this is, you know, you'll get beer geeks who bang on about like the amazingness of the American system and how much more progressive it is with beer in the States and stuff. And it's like, actually, no, they're regressing to more or less the same point we're at. And and why? Well, because it's a giant company and they can do that. And that's there are some really wacky laws in various states in the U.S. We should do some research and do a podcast entirely about some of the 
absolutely insane laws that exist in certain states for craft brewers. Some states are fantastic. Other states are far, far, far worse than Ontario. Yeah. Uh, there, I believe there are states in which you cannot brew beers that are above a certain alcohol percentage, like period. Yeah. That's so there, there are a few. The, the prominent one is Utah because of the, um, the prevalence of Mormonism where it's like, I think it's like 2.5% or something is the highest alcohol content you can have in a beer, which is stupid. Like into craft beer, thinking of becoming a brewer, going to open a brewery in your own home state of Utah, and you can't brew a beer above a certain alcohol percentage. <laughs> Come on, really? Are you actually going to invest in creating that as a business and trying to succeed? Probably not. You're probably going to leave the state and do it somewhere else. But to see that there are actually businesses succeeding within these insane laws, um, it's sort of encouraging and reassuring as a, as a fellow brewery owner. It's kind of cool to see that despite being up against um, some difficult circumstances, the craft beer seems to continue to prevail in just about every single state. Yeah. Well, and in the States, like by orders of magnitude over Canada, the, the market share is shifting to craft in a way that even with the explosive growth we're getting in Ontario and these wonderful numbers the LCBO keep throwing at us about how, how much the, the section segment is growing, the U.S. is just, the growth of craft is pleasingly huge, which is nice. I need to take a quick break here, one second. Oh, oh I just hit myself in the face with a swing top. Oh, I did it on the wrong side. I can't believe that. That hurts so bad. Are you just doing this for show? Or no, I really just smoked myself in the nose of the swing top bottle. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. That was stupid. What I just wanted it up near the mic. I'm opening a home... Not opening. It's the homebrew I've been drinking, but I recapped it. Apparently, it still had a lot of vigor. I'm drinking last year's Christmas beer that I made because it felt a little like Christmas tonight when the Jays won. And uh, so I just wanted to pour some more and take a quick little diversion down homebrewery lane. And uh, I still haven't brewed this year. Still haven't brewed this year, which is really sad. But uh, I am drinking homebrew from last year, which is tasty. It was um, officially because I really, not as much as like some of my friends, like Stephen Beaumont gets a real bee in his bonnet about these like invented beer styles. Um, I'm not quite as manic about it as he is. But at the same time, especially in my homebrew, I try and um, not like try and create new ground. <laughs> so what I brewed was a Belgian style strong dark ale. Um, what it actually was is it's a very high proof Saison. It's probably like 11% and it was made with uh, Y yeast, French Saison yeast, and it was fermented really cold. Like uh, I think I fermented it out at like 17 degrees. So it's like super clean, although it's kind of sour now, it's kind of funked up a bit. Um, but it was like super clean and just a little spicy, but like really jammy. And I used like a bunch of um, candy sugar, like both dark and light. So it's all this like sugary multi-nuance to it. It's really, really good. And uh, now it's kind of taken on this like sort of almost not quite citricky, but like very fruity acidity, which is pretty cool. I like it. So that's what I'm drinking. And I hit myself in the face with the swing top and this bit just went to hell. Stupid bit. So the last piece of Anheuser-Busch InBev news that is the biggest in many ways is, of course, the SAB Miller Anheuser-Busch InBev merger, which they now apparently have an agreement in principle. Uh, so if you haven't been following along at home, kids, Anheuser-Busch InBev, biggest brewery in the world. And SAB Miller, do you know where they are on the list? Like fourth, maybe third or fourth? I just had this data somewhere. It, it, so they're up there. And, and here's the more important thing. They're up there. The gap between AB InBev and whoever's in second is really big. Like ABI is the biggest by a far cry. So, but SAB Miller is a big deal. And um, SAB, if you don't know, is South African breweries. And so they have this huge market share in Africa, which is considered like a big emerging nation for beer. Um, so there's, there's a lot of good synergy, um, for both of them. There's also a world of hurt because of course, Miller and Bud are direct competition with each other in the United States. And so there's some conversation 
not with them, but like like pundits and, and analysts and stuff saying that it's very likely there's going to have to be part of the agreement about uh, a, oh, I can't remember how they worded it. Basically, they basically think Miller won't be, get, be getting sold in the United States anymore, that they're going to have to pull them out um, and, and just have one brand. Anyway, I don't fully understand it because I don't run businesses and probably never will. But it's a really, really big deal. SAB made wait. SAB made offers at ABI or the other way around. ABI must have been making offers at SAB. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what it was. And they made, I think, four offers uh, for it was like the share price at 40 and then at 41.50 and then at like 52. Anyway, I think the final offer is at $44 a share, which is a deal to the tune of $105 billion with a B dollars US. Really, it looks like makes Mill Street look like chump change, doesn't it? Yeah, Mill Street, which I it's, don't know because it's a private deal. But if it's even a hundred million, I'd be really surprised. One hundred and five billion dollars on the table. It's literally, Mill Street would literally be a rounding error compared to this. Like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that's there are thousands. It's so insignificant. Like, I know it's a big deal in our world, but it's so insignificant compared to this is what's going on in the world. They are saying, I don't know who they are, but I've heard it said, I've read it on the internet and God knows it must be true, but I believe it. This will obviously be the biggest merger in brewing ever, but they're saying it's going to be one of the biggest mergers of companies, period. Breaking that $100 billion mark apparently is something that doesn't happen too often. So this is noteworthy because this is like tech sector level mergers and acquisitions, not beer making mergers and acquisitions. It's a very interesting thing. Some of the potential fallout, um, they would control something like one third of all the beer in the world. 31%. Yeah, which is like, that just sounds made up, but it would be true. It's for reals. And the... The most important piece is that they're going to control a much, much, much larger share in the markets where beer is growing. So I know we're all like high and mighty about craft beer and its growth in North America, but beer overall in North America and in Canada is not a growing industry. Craft beer, yes, it's a growing segment within the industry, but beer is not growing in North America. It is growing in other markets, and that's why they would be making such a move. Let me me do two things. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be functional. Okay, it's like um, like a dog sled, fun and functional. Uh, (laughs) What I'm talking about right now, Mandy. Let me ask you this. Okay, we're just talking about uh, Anheuser Busch and Bev merger with Sab Miller could be worth 105 billion dollars US. We don't know how much Mill Street was purchased for, but let's say it was purchased for 100 million because that's a nice number to work with. Part of the deal they announced was, and and this was really to you know smooth some ruffled feathers, was that uh, ABI was investing ten million dollars in brewery operation. Now we don't know what that means, um, because obviously ten million dollars is a lot of money, and that's where we're going with this this little break here, this little corner, it's the Ask Mandy corner. Uh, but it could be another brewery because they have a big production brewery in Scarborough. Um, it could be... They have another production brewery in Scarborough. That is their brewery. That's where they brew all their beer. Okay. It's not so... another brewery. They don't <laughs> brew beer in the distillery district yeah. that gets sold to the market, aside from at the brew pub. That's right. They so have two brew pubs because they have one in Ottawa, a fac- Their brewery is a factory in Scarborough. In Scarborough, That's yes. how you should start that sentence. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> hey, no, I'm with you. That's the kind of nitpicking I do to you all the time. <sighs> this is the Ask Mandy Corner talking about the Mill Street buyout, $10 million. We don't know if it's going to be invested in the main brewery. Is that fair? In Scarborough? Uh, If it's going to build another large production brewery, if it's going to be spread out between the two brew pubs and the major brewery in Scarborough, we don't know. This has not been discussed. They're just saying $10 million, we're going to invest in the brewery. Mandy, tell me this. I am a mega rich Brazilian Belgian guy, and I'm going to give you $10 million 
to, give it to me yeah to well, no because i'm buying you out but you're gonna have 10 million dollars <laughs> let's not get into the nitty-gritty very different let's, not get, asking, the, let's you... not get into the okay, nitty-gritty man go, go on ownership be damned you now have 10 million dollars what are you gonna do with it at left field brewery wait do i have 10 million dollars and i work for myself or do i have 10 million dollars and i work for you it really would I be. think it if I worked for impact. you, you would be telling me what to do with the $10 million. Okay, you have $10 million and you work for me and I say to you, you go off with your, your, your guys, you know, your little staff and you come back and you tell me what we're going to do with the $10 million. It's yours. Blank check. It's not blank. It says $10 million on it. <laughs> that was amazing. Check for $10 million blank, and you can do whatever check? you want with it. There's, there's no line on the budget. Okay. You write the line or line. So far, I'm going to ask my boss for a clearer direction. No, the first thing is you ask for a raise, but anyway. Clearer direction. Okay. Uh, yeah. Are you asking what I would do with an influx of $10 million? Yeah, what are you going to do with 10? Because stop and think about this for a minute. Dear listener, I'm not talking to Mandy here now. $10 million, guys? That is, uh, that is a huge sum of money. <laughs> Just to be clear, my business is not for sale. Okay. I've already, it isn't because I've already bought it and I'm not selling it. And you have $10 million. What are you going to do with it? Ugh, I'm going to be so miserable working for you. I really would prefer to work for myself. I am going to be such a laissez-faire <laughs> boss. I'm going to spend so much of my time in the Cayman Islands. Like, you're never going to see me. All right. This won't be so bad. Um, well, it may not come as a surprise, but we have some debt, so it would be important to pay that back. Okay. Beer is a volume <laughs> business, and it, it is difficult to turn a profit on little volume. And that that is why... Businesses like Mill Street grew the way they did to become attractive, to be purchased. Like It's a volume business. Um, any brewery that wants to make itself attractive to investors needs to have some volume capacity. Um, so you would buy tanks. Tanks are the, the piece of equipment that you could pay back. The so you can blow quickly. up the other breweries? No, that's not that's not the goal. Um, oh, not that a, kind of tank. Wrong kind a, of tank. Sorry. No, not that kind of tank. I mean fermenters. So, oh, okay. Um, when we, when we were ready to grow volume, we would, we would buy fermenters, fermenters. That's what you need to do. But we have some other, you may find this boring, but we have some other challenges at the brewery that would need to be addressed before we move to additional fermenters. Something that's really challenging for us right now is that we've already started to outgrow our fridge. And so, uh, we insist of course on cold storing our beer. All craft beers should be stored cold. Um, if you're not storing your craft beer cold and it's unpasteurized, you have a big problem. So I would suggest that you make sure that when you bring your craft beer home from the, the LCBO or maybe you're buying it at the beer store, maybe you're buying it direct from a brewery, but you should always, always, always store it cold. Don't leave it in the car. Don't leave it in the backyard in the sun. Put it in the fridge. So we've started to run out of space in our fridge. Uh, and so cold storage on site, off site, I don't know where it would be, but we would need to build additional cold storage for our beer um, because we we're already very, very tight. So that was a mistake and uh, something we need to address immediately. Right now we... Uh, so you're going to build have, a $10 million fridge. We need a fridge. It doesn't need to be a $10 million fridge. Could you imagine what kind of fridge you could get a lot for you could, $10 million? You could get a fridge for uh, quite a lot less than $10 bucks. There are some pretty basic necessities that we're going without right now. So small things like our own forklift so we don't have to borrow one from the neighbors. That would be <laughs> That would be nice. Um, we don't actually have any office furniture, so that is not nice. true. You have a banging air hockey table. <laughs> we do have an air hockey table, which was free, might I add. Um, every every piece of furniture in the office was free, with the exception of a couple of nine dollar folding chairs. So it it would be helpful to have some office furniture and some additional computers because right now we share desks and we share computers, and at, on certain days uh, it does get to the point where. It's actually unproductive because we're waiting around for each other's desks or computers to do our world work. Um, so there are some very basic necessities that we're kind of going without. That $10 million, we could just kind of grab those things in a jiffy um, and, and be a lot more efficient with well our time. still got well over $9 million to spend. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I had probably invested some outdoor signage and some lighting and some pretty basic things that most businesses have. Um and then, man, what would I do with the rest of my ten million bucks aside from paying off debt and uh, buying some more tanks? I <laughs> don't really know still, what I would you've, do. You've still got millions of dollars. I know. You can see, I, I don't. Can I, suggest I don't some want to run the type of. We, we don't really want to run the type of business where we're 
managing hundreds of employees. And Mm. when you build a $10 million brewery and you have that sort of capacity, you're, you're running a pretty gigantic business. And that means I can't pour beers in the taproom most of the time. I'm not going to be unloading any skids with the forklift off the truck at the end of the day. Um, I'm, I'm probably not engaging with the customers too often, probably not working at any of the beer fests. And then I think a lot of the fun really gets sucked out of it. So I don't know that I want, I don't know that I want to work for you, Chris, and I don't know that I want your 10 million bucks. Well, it's too late. I've already bought you. You have to spend it. Um, no, this is, this is a bit of a silly exercise and it, but it fully has worked because I'm not going to say you don't need 10 million. Somebody handed you 10 million, no strings attached. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you could probably find some worthy things to do with it. I think we're actually probably going to shut down the brewery this year. And all of the wonderful people that we've chosen to spend every day with. Yeah. Like literally we spend more time with the people we work with than our own family and friends. We're going to take all these awesome people that we love to spend time with. And we're going to just travel the world. 10 million bucks. Yeah. You guys make your own beer. See ya. Yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> Baseball themed brewery. It's going to be pretty quiet now, neighbors. Um, no, but the, and that worked really well. I like that, the, how well that bit went, because that's the point for a lot of the smaller businesses in the face of these. I just like saying hundred billion dollar takeovers that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of small companies Really, you know, the values are different. We have different values. And it's funny. We, I run into this personally. This is a little little soapbox, but um, no, I think I will tell you. I'll tell you. The, I'll tell you the story, Mandy, and dear listener might get cut because we're at an hour 14 right now. <laughs> we did talk in the middle there for a long time. Um, we, we moved. And I think I think I recorded the last podcast, not the live one here, but uh so we've moved recently and, and that's great. And we love where we are, but without getting, getting too personal into details, um, when we submitted our application to, uh, to rent the house, we were told by the, uh, the, the agency that manages the property, cause it's not dealing with the homeowner that to, to comfortably rent this house, they would like to see uh, us earning a hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> I was like, What? And I wanted to be like, do you think I'd be renting a house if I was earning $100,000 a year? Like, what the hell is the matter? What kind of math are you doing where I'm earning $100,000 a year and I'm still renting a house? That's, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. But we literally had to kind of make this appeal and be like, we have different values. Like, maybe you're right if we needed to drive like a new nice car. And if both Eric and I needed to seasonally retool our wardrobe, and if we had to go somewhere warm on a plane and drink rum based beverages twice a year, like all these things that I guess people hold so, you know, so near and dear that they're so important in their lives. And I'm like, man, I don't relate to any of that stuff. I buy most of my clothes at value village. Like, and not to be like hipster just because it's like, I'm cheap. I don't want to spend full money on clothes. And it's just, there's this real, I don't know if it's like, as I'm getting older, I'm just becoming more aware that like, there's a real value difference in some people. And and I think maybe on some subconscious level, that's part of what I don't think brought me to craft brewing, but certainly endeared me once I was already kind of involved in the scene was this appreciation. I mean, there are some giant guys, Mill Street's one of them and, and, they did what they wanted and then they did it well. Amsterdam is a huge company too. Jeff is a fantastically shrewd businessman. Um, and there are others. Uh, certainly we're at Bose Oktoberfest and, and Bose goes with a very different mindset, but they're becoming quite a large brewery and that's fine. Um, but there are so many people who are just very comfortable being like, no, like I don't have to be huge and I don't have to be, you know, ridiculously well-known or whatever. I really like that. I that's think that's why I like how, you guess. It's totally how we found ourselves in craft beer. It's exactly for those those reasons. I, I, I'll never forget a conversation I had with one of my closest friends um, when we made the decision to sort of take the leap and um, build the build the actual brewery. Um, and I was talking about some of the details of the financials with her. She's one of my best friends. And she said, aren't you scared? Uh, and aren't you worried that like, you'll lose your house and you'll you'll lose everything? Like if it doesn't work out, I know you guys are great and you're smart and you'll make it work and, and it, that's not going to happen. But 
what if it does? Like it, it takes guts to do that. And um, it, it may not work out. What, what would you do? I was like, well, it's just a house and it's just stuff. And I have family and friends and people I can rely on. Like we've camped in the delivery van a whole bunch of times. So at the end of the day, we could always just like sleep in the van for a little while. We couldn't figure things out. Yeah. And she was shocked that I said that I said that like it's just a house and it's just things. And that's truly how we, we feel like we, we have confidence that things would work, that to a degree we knew what we were doing. And it was fair, it was fairly low risk, even though it was perceived by many, including the banks, as being a high risk thing. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's just I don't I didn't really care about any of those things. I don't need to have nice things and I don't need to make a lot of money. I just life is short. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a sappy parent and stuff. <laughs> Having kids kind of changed me a lot. You do have to become a little bit more um, responsible. We camped one summer for like six weeks in a tent in my mom's backyard just because we were between places. Can't really do that with kids. It's, it's harder to do with kids anyway. We'd probably have to build a yurt or something. I'd borrow patties maybe. But uh, so that changes things a little bit. But then you start thinking about the values that you instill in the kids and, you know, like, I don't want my kids to grow up thinking that like their self-worth is measured in their bank account, especially because then they'll totally lose faith in me. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's jump ahead here. Let's move on. Let's move on. But that was, that was really good. I like that. That's good. Um, the only other thing I have on the, the show notes is cask days, because of course you may or may not know Mandy, but cask days is coming up. Oh, wow. Is it really Chris? I hadn't realized. Just kidding. We've been working on our casks for a while now. <laughs> Um, we had to submit what our final cask submissions were going to be um, a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago. So it's all sort of ready to go. And we've been um, doing a lot of cask experiments at the brewery. Did um, you just say cask experiment? Yeah, it's a dorky thing that we came up with, but we uh, we do. That's a weird, was it port, portman, portmando, portman, how do you say that word? I don't know. Port, portmandu, is that how you say it? I, anyway. I don't even know what you're saying. When you combine two words into one. Oh, I didn't know that that was a, what is the word for that? I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. I think it is port man. Oh, I'm not looking. This is, an, oh, this is, keep going. I'm t- Cask experiments at the brewery. Cask so uh, we've had a bunch that didn't really work out and we weren't able to serve them. The end result was used for cooking or it ended up exploded all over the brewery floor. Um, but that's just the things with the cask experiments. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Um, when they do work out well, we tap them and pour them on Saturdays and Sundays at the brewery. Um, we've had some really fun ones and some really delicious ones. Others just really didn't didn't work out. Uh, and so we've been sort of preparing our casks for cask days and getting some great ideas lined up. Uh, and we're getting ready to to fill the actual casks that we're, we're sending off to cask days, uh, which is not this coming weekend. But I believe it is the following you, you weekend. So it it's is October. the 23rd, 24th, 25th. That's right. Yes. Look at me knowing the dates, eh? Good for you. I had to pull up a calendar, but you were faster than me. Because they're in my mind. Uh, quick aside, portmanteau, that is P-O-R-T-M-A-N-T-E-A-U, large trucker suitcase typically made of stiff leather and opening into two equal parts. And that's the important part because it also means consisting of or combining two or more separate aspects or qualities. Another good definition is a portmanteau word fuses both the sounds and the meanings of its component, like cask experiment gotcha okay if you've been to cast days you could just tune out now because you already know this but it is fantastic it is busy it's crowded there's lineups like that's all normal but it is such an amazing festival for just the sheer volume of things that you're never gonna get to try again and you get to try them all in one spot there are some really cool tickets i don't know if they're still available but they do like I know Stephen Beaumont in the past has done like a, a walking tour guided tasting. Ralph does one. Uh, that would be Ralph Morena, who is the owner of Volo and the founder of Cast Days. Uh, so there are some great value adds. There's like the Brewer's Breakfast, which you're probably going to because you're one of the brewers. So are you at the Brewer's Breakfast, Mandy? I will be attending the Brewer's Breakfast, but I am not a brewer. But that is the okay, so big brewery owner. Brewery, <laughs> which, yeah. Anyway, that is a really good time, especially if you are... Uh, interested in the 
art of brewing or if maybe you're a young up-and-comer and you want an opportunity to grab a brewer's ear, that's a pretty good way of doing it. Cast days, uh, tickets are still on sale. Some of the sessions are sold out, but uh, if not, get those. Uh, only Cafe Festival of Craft Beer this weekend. Um, I think this is coming out on Friday, so tonight, if it came out on Friday. And uh, tomorrow, we'll let's say Friday the... What are we at? Friday the 16th? Yes. And Saturday the 17th. Yes. Um, we've gone on at length about our love for those festivals. Good fun. Always good times. And uh, love the only. So get out to them too. For the first time in a long time, we actually have a variety of beer. So we will have it there. Yeah. What? Okay. Can I guess? Will you be able <laughs> well, to Well, you've say? been to the brewery recently, so you know that our brewery is still any, pretty slim. Anybody who follows Instagram could probably guess. It's probably Bricks and Mortar, Grandstand, and like Ephus. Yeah, and Maris, who knows? We can we have all this packaged stuff now. We can just bring a variety and go crazy. Uh okay. Thanks, Mandy. Oh, you didn't ask me about my cast days casks, Chris. I assumed it was hush hush. I didn't think I could ask you that. I thought that was asking I'll just, your age or your No, I'll just I won't say exactly what they are, but we have a cheeky one coming, so look out for it. Um Inspired by It's inspired by a an awful untapped check-in that we hated, so we made a beer. For the person who hated our beer, who asked for something more delicious that was made by AB and Beth. So watch out for our cask. Oh, I actually think I already know where this is going. I think I do. Um, it's a bit like uh, Bo's haters going to hate. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, yep. So look up left field cast days and uh, look for Mandy because she'll be there. Brewer's breakfast, not a brewer. She's an imposter, but she'll be there and uh, be a good time. Uh, talk to you in about two weeks. Sounds great. It does happy, sound great. Happy postseason baseball watching. Oh my gosh, guys. Enjoy it. Just enjoy Monday it. Monday the 19th, vote and watch baseball. That's that. That's the final thought right there. And then Chris, watch some more baseball and then watch some more baseball after that. It's just so exciting that there's going to be so many more games. It's awesome. Well, hopefully there's only going to be eight more. Is that right? Best of five, best of seven. Yes. And I just, I, I know we're just wrapping, but I've just described to somebody by uh, how torn I am on how, like, on what I want the actual results to be. Okay. Because as a, as a Jays fan and a baseball fan, I just want sweep, sweep done. You're right. As a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want, want more games. Yeah. You want it to go the, you're experiencing <laughs> leaf syndrome doesn't matter if we win we just need to make it we just gotta we want that juicy postseason gate so i want it to be somewhere in between just for fun well i can understand that adds drama too yeah it's more fun that way right okay uh hour and 30 let's throw this out there mandy baseball expert don't say you're not not an expert but i who, do have a love of the game who will be the star of Game one against the. I wanted to hold something up in front of my mouth, like The Simpsons. This doesn't have video. It doesn't matter. The team we're going to play on Monday. Who's going to be the hero? Let's see who the team we're going to play on Monday is. Hold on, the game must almost be over. Is it? Late huh? breaking, late breaking news on the Toronto Beer Podcast. We'll this be playing the we'll Kansas playing City, City Royals. Yep, good. So we're because gonna... that means both teams from Texas are out. Fuck you, Texas. So aggressive, Chris. <laughs> hey, no, least... that's how Texans speak to each other, I think. I think I was just, mm. I was just yeah, I think yeah, that's just how they do it. Anyway, good for Kansas City. They deserve it. They uh, they waltzed right into the postseason and they uh, they certainly earned a place in the ALCS. So on Monday, facing the Royals of Kansas City, incidentally, the inspiration for the song Royals by Lord. Yeah, she saw a Royals hat and sort of, sort of obsessed about the word Royals for a while. Are you song. making that up? No, dead serious. <laughs> like very weird. Well, have you heard an interview with Lord? The first thing you need to know is she's from New Zealand. So right there, that's already kind of messed up. And then it just gets weirder from there. Artistic parents. She's very bohemian. I love her music, though. God. Who is Mandy? Who is going to be the star of the game on Monday? Between the Kansas City Royals and the Toronto Blue Jays. Are they, they are the Blue Jays, right? They went through a thing where they were just the Jays. Totally Blue Jays. Okay. 
Who's going to be the star of the game? Who is going to be the star of the game? Donaldson's such an easy pick, but quite honestly, so far in the postseason, Kevin Pillar has been my all-star, so I'm going to pick him as all-star. That catch tonight? That catch every night. He makes that catch every night. That is why he's so incredible. And he hustles the entire game. He has not the best at-bats, but he's come through in key moments. He's just, he's awesome. Can I just say really quickly on baseball? Mm -hmm. This might not make the final cut. I found myself tonight thinking, I went, man, why are we still playing Goins? This guy's at-bats are just nothing. And then he made that play in the eighth or the ninth, and you said, oh, that's why. That, it, he had two really clutch catches. Like, okay, that's fine. He I can, said, he can bunt he made, all he wants. As he made the first of those two plays, I said, he can keep batting. It's okay. This is why we have him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, those were two very single base hit balls. But nope. Nope. Not on his watch. Kevin Great. Pilar, watch out. He is Pilar. an actual superhero. A real living superhero. Okay, here's mine. Because you didn't ask, but you're going to get it. I got a real feel. Real feeling. That Rivera's really going to light it up. He's a oh, great yeah? He's a great leadoff man. In in the vein of like the Devon White. You know? Can get himself on base. He's fast. He can steal. Like, he's everything you want in a leadoff man. I predict... Like later game when he's he's third, fourth at bat, that he's gonna really deliver. That's my guess. Okay, we'll see. Also, his name's Ben. My son's name. <laughs> so I like him already. Thanks for listening, Toronto. We'll uh, talk to you in about two weeks.